0: It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode has been generously sponsored by Bedrock Care, a close friend and supporter of Jewish History Soundbites since its very inception and even prior to its inception. So thank you. And I hope everyone is safe and okay and healthy. Today we'll talk a little bit about the history and the development of a fascinating story called the Nature Carta, which is a faction, an extremely anti-Zionist faction, quite famous. And this story and their history is uh, quite interesting. And of course, like usual, we're going to be focusing on history, not ideology, not politics, and not anything contemporary, um, just uh, because it's a Important and also interesting story. So, in fact, um, this is one of the only uh, st- st- histories that I, I guess, not exactly anthropology because I am not an anthropologist uh, or a scientist, but um, but uh, this is the closest I get to get to anthropology. Is I uh, I my years in the mirror many years ago, sort of many years ago. Um, I had the inter, interaction, you know, is in the neighborhood near Meir Sharim, And, um, and I interacted with several uh, leading members of the Naturi Karta over the years. I used to, for several years, I davened part of the week in, uh, the Vasikan Minion in a little shul called Bate Nathan, Nathan's, hi, ha, na- Bate Nathan, Nathan's houses, um, which is a small little neighborhood. In near near the Mir, where my Hirsch and his later his son Yisrael Meir Hirsch, who I got to know pretty well, and other um other notorious people, there's a guy, uh, forgot his first name, Freiman. He called himself the Ishir Shalim, he was from New York. He used to come for visits to Yerushalayim. There was a guy who lived near the Mir, Koifman, who was actually a uh, grandson of the famous All for the Boss, Rav Herman, and He was also one of the heads of the He used to eat by him Shabbos once in a while. In any event, they got to know them on a personal level and hear a little bit about their story and who they were and interact with them as, as people. So it's, uh, definitely an, it was definitely an interesting exposure and perspective. However, here I'm going to talk a little bit about the background and the founding, more of the history of it. The Naturi Karta is is founded in the 1930s. Back in those days, the Haredes and the Agudas Yisrael were one entity in Yerushalayim. And the Agudas Yisrael was more extreme uh, in its positions um, than was the Aguda in Poland. And the Agudas Yisrael, at some point in the 1930s, was seen by certain factions within the Within the Aguda, within the Eidacharedis of, of those days as being too compromising, uh, towards, um, the, the Zionist establishment, which wasn't even the state of Israel then. It was still the British mandate, but the gaining, uh, influence of the Jewish agency of the, of the Zionist institutions. And they decided to break out. It was actually a few young members of the, of the, uh, Aguda uh famous names in the Naturi Karta were actually the founders Rubam Rambloy and Rabaran Katznell and Bogan. And the two of them and a couple of others, they found the Naturi Karta. It wasn't called the Naturi Karta then, but eventually they came to be nicknamed it, and I don't know if they ever officially adopted the title, but that's definitely how they're known uh till today. So they weren't happy with the Aguda. So they leave the Aguda and they found this, uh, small organization. Kind of remains small. We don't know. It's hard to know the exact numbers. Uh, also there's different factions within the Naturi Karta. There's probably rough approximation, uh, a couple of hundred, 250, 300 families in Israel and then another couple of hundred, again, two to 300, uh, worldwide. So additional, uh, that's, that's, that's probably the, and families you know and big families small families but families um so that's that's the approximate numbers today and then it was even smaller um but they they um they left the aguda now officially so that that was in 1935 approximately 10 years later Um, there was elections, believe it or not, within the Eidacharedis. This was the last democratic elections within the Eidacharedis. And the Naturi Karta kind of took it over. They won the elections in a democratic, fair fashion. They kind of gained the upper hand within the Eidacharedis and they were able to influence it. And then a few, a couple years later, when the state is founded, there's the final break within the Agudis Yestral. The Eidacharedis leaves the Agudis Yestral because of the Aguda's compromising attitude towards the state of Israel and willing to willingness to participate in the elections and eventually also to accept government funding, which was uh you know, the Eda wasn't wasn't willing to accept that, so there was a split. And the Naturi Karta officially remained part of the Eid of Haredes until a later point when the Naturi Karta leaves the Ede you know, both for ideological reasons and also for personal reasons, Rabam Rumblois marriage to the uh, famous convert who I mentioned recently in um in the story of the Thyasula Ruth Ben David. So she was a Giris when Rabam Rumbloy married her, so the Aid Charedis opposed the marriage, and in nineteen sixty six the Naturi Karata officially leaves the Aid Charedis and becomes their completely an independent organization. So that's how it develops. You know, they they, um, they, even in the 1930s, when they founded the Naturi Karta, there was, there was a, um, in, they, they wanted more activism, more protest, machoes, public protests, more activist stance against the secularization, against the secular Zionism, against the different, uh, chil Shabbos and the, uh, the kite issues that they felt that were important to speak out against, which is interesting because the at one point there was a confrontation between the Briskarov, Rebetzalc Zev Salavechik, Rebetzalc Zav Salavechik, and Rebam Rambloy of the Naturi Karta, and the Briskarov said that I believe that you're a bigger Zionist than I am. How could that be? The Briskarov, as extreme as he was, wasn't part of the Naturikarta So he explained, he said, back when we lived in the Russian Empire under the Tsars, no one would dare and dream of public protests because the Tsar's police would kill you at worst or send you to Siberia at best. So no one protested, no one made a peep against the Tsar. And here you make public demonstrations, you stop traffic, you burn garbage cans." And you get into confrontations with the police and you're not scared because you know that the worst thing that they'll do is only put you in jail for a little bit. They're not going to do anything worse than you. So you have a belief in the goodness of the Zionist government and, in their, and, then, and that they're not going to send you to Siberia or kill you. So that means you believe in them. You believe in Zionism because you would never do that against the czar. So there you go. You're deep down. You really believe in it. So that was an accusation that the briskarov made to Urban Rambly. It's interesting. There's a fascinating, a fantastic biography that just came out about Urban Rambly in Hebrew, uh by Kimi Kaplan, who's quite a researcher, and he uh and he there he traces you know how how Bley through the years in his leadership of the Naturi Karta and he explains how Urban Rombloy felt as head of the Naturi Karta that he has to react to everything that happens Within the state of Israel, within the 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 the, uh, the Zionist movement, or anything that the what he perceived as the secular Zionist threat to Jewish traditional life of Jerusalem, of 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 whatever he felt as the value system was, he had to react to it. He had to go against it. He had to say something about it. He had to protest it. He had to react to it. And if that's the case, it means he couldn't ignore it. And if he lived like that, and he led the Natura Carta like that, then he was part and parcel of the of the story of modern day Zionism, because he felt that it was a force to be reckoned with, and something that had to be reacted to. So, in in essence, he becomes part of the story uh, also, because if he would if he were to simply ignore it, then he can then you could say that he's completely removed from the story. But the very fact that he felt. The need to react to every movement and every development makes him a part and parcel of the story of Zionism itself. So, the the um, in the nineteen fifties, the uh, the Natori is very popular. They are leading the protests of the new state against the new state in every realm of religious observance, um, which which uh, garnered a lot of support, widespread support amongst the Haredi community, about Hill Shabbos, the desecration of Shabbos, which was an important uh, campaign, and other such campaigns that the Naturi Karta spearheaded and led. When Rav Ambrim landed up in jail, no, a personage no less than the Chazen Ish went to visit him. It was, you know, super mainstream, and here he's going to visit the faction that's considered extreme within the camp. And therefore you see that in the nineteen fifties it did um have a certain amount of popularity and support, even amongst the um more mainstream. Um that less and less over time, different developments uh you know caused that, especially their split with the Ede Haredis, which made them be considered even more extreme. Now the Naturia Carta had its share of really colorful characters, which added a lot to to the you know, the interesting dynamics within the leadership of the Naturi Karta and the acts, actions of the Naturae Karta was the fact that they had some interesting people, the most famous of whom who I mentioned is Rabam Ramblai, but, uh, Rabaran Katsnolmbogen was an interesting person as well, who was the head of the main, uh, flagship institution of the Naturae Karta was the Yeshiva, which still exists in main arm called the Yeshiva's Tyra of the And Rabaran Katsnolmbogen headed that Yeshiva for many years. His son-in-law, Maisha Hirsch, who was American and learned in Lakewood by her Cutler. At one point, um, he he was uh, he he uh, continued his father-in-law's way and also even brought it to new extremes. We'll get to that soon. But there is a couple of other characters who were at the stood at the helm of um, the Naturi Carta, who were fascinating individuals. One of whom was known as the Foreign Minister of the Natura Carta. A guy by the name of Label of who came from, you know, the most, um, the lineage that he had was impeccable Yerushalmi lineage, great rabbis were his grandparents, great grandparents. And he, um, he's, he was an activist as a young guy in the early years of the state. He, he crossed the border into Jordan to try to, Make a connection between the Naturi Karta and the Jordanian government. When he comes back into Israel, he's tried and, you know, could, could basically like, I'm not sure exactly what the charge was, but something along the lines of espionage or, or, uh, or during wartime, and he ends up in jail. Now, his prosecutor was the first attorney general, I think the first, one of the first attorney generals of the state of Israel, Chaim Kohn, who was also the prosecutor during the Kastner trial sidebar, back to Label of Icefish. So Label of Icefish, he eventually retires from the Naturi Karata in the 1950s, continues to live in Meish Aram. He was a cipher, and he also made tefillin. And he was never went to school, but he was self-taught in Nietzsche philosophy, Friedrich Wilhelm Nietzsche, famous German philosopher, who I know nothing about his philosophy because I don't know anything about philosophy, but he, but this guy label of one of his side hobbies was he became an expert in his philosophy. Not only that, he had this strange view that you can't understand Yiddishkeit or Judaism without understanding Nietzsche, and it's fundamental to Yiddishkeit to Judaism to know Nietzsche well. And he went on this campaign for the rest of his life, and he even made up with his old prosecutor Chaim Kohn, who was completely secular, to a certain extent even anti-religious. And and the two became friends, incredibly enough, later on, because Chaim Kohn also happened to like Nietzsche. And this label of Icefish, who is this self-taught Nietzsche expert, living in Meisham as a cipher, the foreign minister of the Naturi Karta, who had connections with Arab leaders, he becomes invited in ac- secular Israeli academic circles later on in life to lecture on Nietzsche because he was actually acknowledged as an expert in, in that regard. So, go figure. But that was his story. Another interesting leader of um, the Naturi Karta in the early years was uh, Rebde- probably the most interesting, Rabdev Sokolovsky. Rabdev Sakalovsky was a Litvak, and he... Um, Learned in, studied in the, the Navarta yeshiva, Slabatka. He was in Raden. He was close with the Chavetz Chaim. He was a big Talmud Chacham. He learned and studied at the Mir and marries eventually the Rav and Rosh Hashiva of the Mir of Romsvi Kamai, um, who's the, 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 rabbi of the town and also the, the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir along with his brother-in-law Ablazi Adolfinkel was killed by the Nazis, the Romsvi Kamai along with most of his children. Rabdai Sokolovsky was basically the only child who, uh, who, uh, you know, his, he and his wife were the only ones who basically from Rovno Sui Kamai from, uh, who survived because he moved to Israel prior. But, um, he's the son-in-law of the Mirav. And even when Rovno Sui Kamai was out of town, he even took on the duties as the rabbi of the town. He was quite an impressive individual. He suffered a personal tragedy. I think he lost a child or something along those lines. And he moves to then Palestine, Eretz Yisrael, in 1931. So he moves here in 1931, and he is very disturbed by the fact that there's Hill Shabbos in Yerushalayim. So he organizes a campaign against the desecration of Shabbos, and it's a very um, orderly campaign. First of all, he lobbies the British authorities. He goes on a letter writing campaign to shopkeepers. He writes them letters, personal letters. Can you please close your stores for Shabbos? He gets backing from across the spectrum. He, he, uh, lines, is aligned with Rabari Levin, um, Reb Mordechai Elio, the young Ramordacha Mordechai Eliyahu, um, people who are not known as extremists or Naturi Karta, to, to say the least, and, and, and many other rabbis, and they have this campaign to prevent Chil Shabbos. Now later on, he's appointed the Rosh Yeshiva of the Tairavir, the flagship uh, Yeshiva of the Naturi Karta. He becomes the head of the Naturi Karta. He also had a Kail of the Naturi Karta. And a few years later, his uncle, Yudel Finkel founds the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim and he renews the relationship with his uncle and he hangs around the Mir. There he, he might have even given some sort of Chabura or something there. I'm not sure. I spoke to someone once about it. I don't recall... Um if that was verified, but he was definitely around and respected. It was a huge Talmud Chacham and part of the Mir family. Never had any other children. Um And he, um so he's he's head of the Naturiya Karta, affiliated with the Mir. He still had a Chavrusa with the Stipler, who was his Chavrusa back in Navardic many years earlier. So he kept a relationship with all the establishment. He was close with Rav Shach as well. He was involved in the Yosel Schuchmacher story from the, a couple of episodes ago. We spoke about, um, he was involved in getting him out of the country and smuggling him out. He was one of the main people involved then. And not only that, but he backed Reb Amram Bloy in his exiting the Eid Charedis in 1966. He backed him in his marriage to Ruth Ben David when the entire Eid of Haredes went against Reb Amram Bloy. Rabdai Sokolovsky backed him, and not only that, he was the Masader Kedushin of that wedding between Ruth Ben David and Rabbi Bloy. So he was involved in everything, and uh, not only that, he outlived basically all the original leaders. He lived till the ripe old age of 90, dying in 1987. So that was another uh, uh, interesting leader of the Naturi Karta. Another aspect of the Naturi Karta was an interesting story that took place in Vizhnitz in B'nei Brak. The Imre Chaim of Vizhnitz, after surviving the Holocaust, comes and settles down first in Tel Aviv, and then the Pane Bezharav helps him set up in B'nei Brak, which is also a great story, and the the, the Vizhnitz Tzareba puts his son, Reb Maisha Hager, who eventually becomes the Vizhnitz Rebbe after his passing, after the Imre Chaim's passing, he puts his son in charge of the Vizhnitz Yeshiva. Now the there were several, a group of, um, of, of, of students in the yeshiva who felt that the Rosh Yeshiva, the Rebbe's son, was too moderate. Uh, he was too accepting of, uh, too compromising in regards to Zionism, too moderate in his stances about the Israeli government, and they went against him. So he, it became a big scandal in the vision. This took place in 1963, and the yeshiva was closed down. They threw out this whole group of rebellious, uh, Students, the Rosh Yeshiva at the time was, there's one of the other Rosh Yeshiva at the time was actually a great, uh, Litvisha, uh, Talmud Chacham, named Gedalia Nadal, who was a student of the Chazanish, who was a fascinating personality and really a story in himself. And he was also involved in this, um, breaking up this faction. He was, I think he was part of the, the, the fa- he was part of the faction that had to be broken up. Either way, so the, this group of guys gets thrown out, and they become known as the Nidochim, the ones who are kicked out or pushed out. And they scatter all over the world. Some go back to Yerushalayim. Others move out of the country. And this group of Nidochim, they become um, major players in the Naturi Karta, especially in the Naturi Karta expands beyond, um, beyond the borders of the state of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, and they, they open branches in England and the United States, um, somewhat affiliated with Satmar in the United States, definitely as far as funding goes, but even more extreme than Satmar in many cases. And they opened a branch in Muncie. One of the major heads of the Naturi Karta, till today, still alive, is Moshe Berbeck, And he, um, he's one of the Nidachim, okay, someone who grew up in Budapest. And eventually moves to Israel, learns in Vishnitz, but marries into Yerushalmi family. He's got a little bit of everything. But leaves after the Nidachim stories in Montreal. And then in Muncie he becomes one of the major heads of the Natura Karta. Now, the other developments that happen in the Naturi Karta is they're changing a relationship with the, with the Satmar community because to a certain extent, extreme anti-Zionist stances, the inspiration, the, the ideological inspiration is drawn from the Satmar of Rabbi but in many ways the Naturi Karta takes um takes things in its own hand and and uh, and decides in the nineteen sixties, seventies, eighties in ways that would be more extreme. One of the internal disputes that rocked the Naturi Karta in those years was um was the uh was how far to go with public demonstrations. Was it to be more ideological, or to actually be activists in demonstrating against every single thing that happens and takes place and comes up, and develops within uh, within religious value systems, and 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 uh, and to protest against uh, against what is perceived as a threat or a danger or an issue or a problem, or to focus on building up their internal institutions? To spread the ideological word through the printed word, um, through different publications that they have, what what should be the focus? And um, and of, and of course that was one internal dispute. And of course another internal dispute was in the new question of whether they were the Naturi Karata's stance was to be just anti-Zionist or even to be pro-Palestinian. I remember again going back to my days davening in Bataneh, and one of the most interesting personalities there was an old Yuki, an old German Jew, very interesting individual. I used to sit with him for hours and hear his stories. Uh he used to hang around the mirror. Also Rabbi Uri Weinberg. And Rabbi Uri Weinberg told me uh, a story with Rabmisha Hirsch. So Rabisha Hirsch became one of the heads of the Naturi Kart. His father-in-law Rabarin Castno and Bogan was the head of Tara. And he was an American who married into the Castno and Bogan family. And uh after learning in Lakewood, like I said about Ryan Cutler, And he um and um, in the 1970s, the uh, Sir Aburi told me that Ramiya uh, Hirsch uh, decided to go and testify at some sort of UN committee uh, in regards to Palestinian rights and nationalism and uh, and and against the state of Israel in in favor of some sort of Palestinian uh, claim. At the time, I'm not familiar with exactly what the issue on the table was in the 1970s. So. And he made it known that he was going to go ahead and do this. And that was a new direction in the Naturi Karta. No one had gone that far. Since Label of Icefish in 1949 had gone over to Jordan, no one had done that within the Naturi Karta. So Baran Kastner, his own father-in-law, who was the head of the Naturi Karta, the extreme anti-Zionist himself, he warned his son-in-law not to take a step like that. He said to go pro-Palestinian, excuse me, he's taking it a little too far, to go to the UN, to put it on the table there, and he had him stopped. And a legend had it, as Raburi told me, legend had it, that he even called the Zionist police and informed them that his son-in-law was heading over to the airport and trying to go this to the UN, and he, at that time, was stopped. But he broke ranks with his father-in-law in in this regard, and that became an internal dispute in in the Turikar, eventually leading to a split about 15 or 20 years ago between the the Vieira faction and the Ayhel Sora faction, which exists till today. And the main question is about how, um, like I said, how much to publicly demonstrate or to focus on ideology. And the other question of whether how, how, how far to go in, in regards to being pro-Palestinian. So the, um, the, uh, the, that was, that was a, a split that, that took place within the Naturiya Karta that was years in the making and, and, and until it became a institutional split, like I said a few years ago. And, uh, and that was, and that's, that's a little bit about the uh, Naturiya Karta's history and they're still around today. So this was Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and hopefully soon back to tours and trips. And thank you again, Bedrock Care, for the sponsorship. And you can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.